Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Hello, everybody. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> we know... <laughs> We normally podcast in the morning, and we're trying this new afternoon multiple podcast because our summers are so crazy busy that we're like, we're not going to make it. And so that's why Father Paul's pounding water, why I'm talking right now on the microphone, just trying to wake himself up. And so he he did it. Just crushed a half liter of water. Okay. <laughs> Once again, no one knows how much that is. <laughs> Can you go ounces here? No, I have no idea how many ounces. Oh are my in this. gosh! It's a half Nalgene. See, people know that more than <laughs> half a liter. No one in their right mind was thinking. I know how much a half liter is. Oh, that's a half Nalgene. I think a Nalgene's a liter. It's not more, is it? I, not like one. I don't know. You are the expert two. on the metric system and all of that. Looks like a liter. Okay. So <laughs> it looks like a kilogram of water is what it looks like. Got it. Whatever that means. It's a liter. That's why metric's so amazing. Um, 2.2 okay. 2 pounds. 2.2 2 pounds. Okay. So got an email from one of our friends, Mary, who was listening to one of the old episodes on where we talked about kind of like women and the role in the church. Do you remember this? Probably not because you have a terrible memory. Women in the role of the church. Women and their role in the church. I think that was one of those answers where I was just like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, she has some <laughs> thoughts. So I'm going to read this and there's some questions within it. So follow up part two. Got it? Part two. Sure. Hey, friends. Catching up on episodes, listening to the February 9th one, in case oh. listeners want to go back. Well, that jogs my memory. That <laughs> jogs your memory. You uh, <laughs> you said you'd like to hear from listeners on this topic. I love when we say that because we're like, do we mean that? Do we actually mean that? But yes, we do. I've ever, we do. Actually, I think I did say that on this because I was... I was I was trying not to offend anybody, I think. And then I was like, I was like, really, I would love to hear feedback. So really what you're saying is when you are worried you're gonna offend someone, then you're like, Hey, uh yeah, I really don't want to offend back anyone. myself so out of a quarter. Love to hear your guys' thoughts on uh the scripture passage you know, or anything. Yeah, correct me if Just I'm wrong. Like I'm not gonna die on this hill. Okay, so you said you'd love to hear from listeners on the topic perspective of women in the church. Mm. Here's my two cents. Father Paul posed a question. What would it look like for oh, there to be yeah. equality between men and women in the church? I I do remember you yeah, saying something. That was a like great that. question I asked. I think I think it's a great I think it's a great question. Yes. She said, "Oh, great. We're off to a bad start." And while so I think you guys try to give many examples of how women are present and visible in the community, they don't really get the same level on the same level of the issue of equality. For example, the fact that men can choose either join a religious order or diocesan life, but women can only choose religious life, separate from diocesan community. That's inequality. There is no equivalent. The diocese will pay for a man's education, room board, if he's in formation to be a priest, but religious orders generally require women to be free from debt from physical or mental illness or impairment and offer no education or formation education in for in their formation, excuse me. 
Father Paul said that JP2 said that women in the priesthood isn't in the revealed truth or in scriptures, but are we also stuck referring to a time frame where it's given that things were unequal for women? So you say Mary Magdalene had a different role than the apostles, but would it be possible would it be possible that it was impossible at the time for her to have that same role? What if Jesus walked the earth today? Would he call only men to serve alongside him? Can we boil it down to the fact that female body is, is somehow just not worthy of being in persona Christi? Question mark. I don't want to be dismissive, but the church is mainly the church is mainly women. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna pause there. There's more. Okay, I want to pause there. Or you want me to keep going? No, that's uh, that's good. Um, those are all those are all good questions. I'm happy to to give my take on them. But I still feel like <laughs> like I'm I'm now kind of uh following up instead of hearing somebody's perspective of what it would look like. You're just following up just following on up, their perspective? Yeah, of like, you know, let me answer your question with a question kind of thing. Let me. Well, <laughs> is that what you would do? So like in her reference, I think the... I First off, thank you, Mary. There's a yeah, lot more too. You. But I think one point that you don't often hear push back is that yeah, but was it really possible when when a lot of men will say, well, if Jesus wanted Mary to be a priest, he would have made, you know, the mother of God. He would have made Mary the first priest. It's like, I understand her point of what she's saying is like, well, was that even like physically possible because of the role of women back then? Where would that look different? That's all of us speculating though. Wait, if Jesus walked the earth now, would that look different? Uh, well, he does walk the earth in the sense of like he's at every mass and all of that. But um, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? I know you love hypotheticals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we've covered, hypotheticals are my favorite. I don't know. Well, yeah. Just what are your general reactions and thoughts? Uh, yeah, I feel like I had some good thoughts. Um, <laughs> as, as We also need we to get Mary on the, the podcast sometime. That would be really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely support that. Uh, okay, so my thought with the question about, well, wasn't just the time so so conditioned, like, yeah, I guess, but it's also <laughs> it's also the Son of God, right? Um, and he did turn and, things upside down in a yeah, lot of cases. Yeah, he really did. That that's my um, own, that would be my rebuttal question is like, but didn't he? challenge the status yeah. quo on so many things and we do have have a real concept uh called the deposit of revelation and we would say that that is closed with the death of the last apostle like there's something special about that period we believe that the holy spirit guides the church in interpreting that deposit of revelation but we don't believe in ongoing public revelation mm-hmm. uh so what that means, right? God reveals who he is uh, throughout human history. Um, he reveals who he is in a special way throughout the scriptures in a definitive way mm-hmm. um, in His the revelation of his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Yep. This goes back to, I want to say in that same episode, I went on this track and started talking about Hebrews 1 
yeah. through many and varied ways. Uh, God has revealed himself uh, to the prophets and the ancients, uh, but now he has spoken through a son. Um, so that's what revelation means. It means God revealing who he is. And because he has definitively real, revealed who he is in Jesus, and we have received that revelation through the testimony of eyewitnesses, i.e. the apostles, um, there is a closure to that specific period of public revelation with the death of the last apostle. It doesn't mean that we don't understand it um, or apply it to our time or whatever. It doesn't mean that we're fundamentalist in this way that we have like a, a set of things that we go back to and can't interpret with any sort of like reason. Right. Uh, this was said, therefore this is mm-hmm. like that. That's not how revelation works. Um, the positive revelation works. Uh, we need to always be trying to understand it and understand how God's working in our time. But there is a definitiveness right, uh, to that. So that's, that's the first thing I'd say. Um, every time the church speaks about this and I referenced JP too, cause I, I know that he wrote about it. Um, in a pretty like important form, because the form matters with the teaching. Uh, sort of an off-the-cuff remark is very different from a pope than and writing a whole in an encyclical, encyclical right? for the whole church. Uh, there are higher... Is that where that... I, I forget where you referenced. Was yeah. that an encyclical or a homily? or No, is is much more than a homily. Okay. Um, it was either an encyclical or an, like an apostolic Hug constitution. Okay. Like one of these sort of... This is published for the whole church as teaching and right. uh, the words are chosen carefully kind of thing yeah. um, where he says like the, the door is shut. Um, we're bound in that way by what we have received by this depositive revelation. So it's not just that we look back to the time of Jesus mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. well, tough. It was like that at that time. Yeah. Um, part of the church's determination on on how to interpret that tradition that we've received, that only men are priests, yeah. is to take into context, to take in, into account um, the circumstances of the times. Um, so, I think it's a it's a very reasonable question to ask. Yeah, um, is it did it did Jesus not choose women as apostles just because women didn't have the same sort of public status i don't know what you would say um Mm -hmm. that they would have now yeah there were no women ceos back then presumably um so you know in choosing like ceos of his church i guess uh he wouldn't (laughs) there is a governing role to, to bishops but yeah that's i would i would answer that question by saying like the the charism of uh, the magisterium yeah. is to interpret the deposit of revelation mm-hmm. under the guidance of the Holy Spirit for the time. Yeah, And um, in doing that, uh, JP2 in particular, in our time, close enough to our time, uh, has said very definitively that, that this is not the case. Yeah. It's, it's not anything about worthiness either. Um, she brought that up something something about I think the way she phrased it was 
is it that a, a woman's body is not worthy of becoming a priest or something like that? Um, oh, I, I don't uh, want to put words in her mouth. Can we boil it down to the fact that the female body is somehow just not worthy of being in persona Christi? In persona Christi. Yeah, so that's, that's a, I think, also a good follow-up question um, because we do look at priests and the kind of thing they do um, with a certain awe. Um, and so it brings up this idea of, am I worthy to do that? Yeah. That's not really what the priesthood is though. Like it's, it's not, it's not a sac, it's not a path that you follow in order to become holy. It's right. a sacrament that's ordered towards the holiness of others. It's a sacrament of service. Mm-hmm. Um, becoming a priest doesn't make you de facto a saint. Not at all. It gives you a lot of responsibility that you have to live up to that might actually make it harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that a priest's life is harder than yes. yeah, a married man with yeah, young yeah, kids yeah. and all this. That's a different thing. But just like the state in life. <laughs> all of us parents know. <laughs> um, but the state in life doesn't, like you have to strive for holiness yeah. if you're going to be effective in your ministry. Uh, God might work in spite of your your lack of holiness, because he does right. that a lot. But becoming a priest doesn't make you holy, right? And so that's, I think that's an important um, qualification yeah. that that kind of challenges just our our concept of what a priest is. Yeah, um, and that also challenges sort of this like worthiness thing. Now, it is true that we want the best possible candidates for the priesthood mm-hmm. because it's such an immense responsibility. Right. Um, and it is true that at the ordination mass, <laughs> the vocation director is asked publicly by the bishop in front of everyone, have you found them to be worthy? So like that, that idea of worthiness. Wait, I thought that was Father Zach, not you. He's, yeah, if there were only one vocation director, then it would oh, be Oh, okay. He's the director uh, of seminarians. The so, document says vocation director. So but what I hear split. you laying down on this podcast, more important <laughs> totally than this question from Mary, this. is that you would like a few words with Father Zach. That's what we need to get straight here. I've okay. had enough words with Father Zach for now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, back to yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, have you found them to be worthy? So yeah, there's there's an idea of worthiness, but that's to be understood as are they a good candidate for it? Do mm-hmm. they possess the qualities? Are they trying to live an upright life? Yeah. Do we see real signs of of sanctity, of dedication to the mission? Do they have a are they the kind of person uh, mm-hmm. who can be a bridge to Christ in the way that a priest needs to be. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of, of qualities that we're looking at. And I can already hear the objection, but can't, can a woman do that? Like, yeah, certainly the personality part of it, but mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about like within the, the boundaries established by the deposit of revelation about who the apostles and their successors and their collaborators, the priests, mm-hmm. um, can be within that range of candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found them to be worthy? Do they have an upright intention? Those are the kind of things that 
that I'm constantly doing as vocation director. And yeah. it's, it's not like, yeah, I don't know. So okay. let me ask a follow up with, uh, obviously we know with men priesthood, big treat, big T tradition, right? Like, like this is like not going to be changed. Yeah. Can a uh, serious question, like what about, could the church ever change or could the Pope ever make a declaration from like see to Peter saying acolytes are allowed to be women or is that under the same cat? Like he already did. He already did. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> like two years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where we, have I been? We, so there, why, did we, are... why didn't you bring up that? <laughs> I don't know. It, that's a distinct that's a role, topic. right? Cause our acolytes. Al- yeah. That's a public liturgical role. Um, like that's more than being like they're an EM captain, right? What what more? I don't or know. no, it's so okay. Maybe a step further is the same big T tradition go towards male deacons? Yes, yeah, because it's holy orders. Yeah, it's holy orders. Okay, so only. Only the, male holy orders. The only confusion there is that in the early church, uh, <laughs> right, there is evidence of deaconesses. Um, That's a weird word. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more respectful than deaconettes, though. Deaconettes, With yeah. female deacons, um, female deacons. Uh, but it seems, and and the pope has talked. The current pope has talked about this several times. Um, or people will ask questions. What about women deacons? And he'll say, let me let me do a, sort of a study committee on this to study the issue. Okay. And it seems like they've gone through this maybe three times in the last 20 years in kind of an in-depth way. Let's, let's look at it, yeah. at it again. And every time they come back and they say, like, there's a very real difference um, between what they did in the early church and that makes us think that there's also a difference in, like, the identity um there were there were women who were called deacons in the early church because they uh assisted in adult baptisms which were done in the nude um mm. and so they assisted in women being baptized um in such a way that like yeah to, you know yeah preserve for, yeah um for like dignity all that yeah, yeah. dignity i can think um it to to my to my knowledge uh there's not much else recorded and they just um, chose they that also, term like well i don't know what they thought at the time they right right they might give me some play they might by not play have been, back in the time yeah, of they might not think. have been making a distinction in the time but that practice went away pretty quickly mm. um and I think that also shows like something something important about the the development of our understanding of the deposit of revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, that like sometimes there can be practices uh, in the history of the church, but when you look over the the vast scale of it, like do you see that as part of the living tradition, mm-hmm. or was that something that that came up and went away? Got it. Um, female deacon seems to be more of the latter. Okay. I think I have a book on it somewhere that I haven't read. I've been packing up all my books right now. Um, so I'm looking at all these mm-hmm. things that just sit on the shelf. 
What did uh, but only an ordained deacon or priest can read the gospel? Yes, and can preach. And can preach. So, so there's no even wiggle room. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm all playing devil's advocate here. Of like, please, like any, any place the church has wiggle room to be like, you know, because I get what she's saying in the sense of like, hey, you're talking to a church that's mainly women, like that where we see absent fathers, where we see the women leading the faith, like singing, Mm -hmm. participating, bringing their kids to church, dragging their husband if he's even there, and it's like. You know, um, not to be like, oh, let's toss them a bone, but like, be like, yeah, there's no, besides the acolyte thing, there's no, there's no, I think it's deeper. I think it's reducing like the practice of the faith and the influence you have on people's Mm. faith down to the liturgy. Like, and that's, that's a sort of clericalism to say that the only way you can be important is to be a cleric. Mm-hmm. Like that's a reverse clericalism. Yeah. Um, I think if you see the, the whole complex of the life of faith as something extremely meaningful and mm-hmm. the liturgy is, is what the church says, the source and summit. Um, the Eucharist is a source and summit of our faith, but it's not the, the full extent of our faith. Like right. it needs to be lived. It needs to be put into to action it needs to be preached right um but there would be no like way for the pope to say hey i want to create this new role that allows women to read the gospel maybe that was really abstract like i don't know i don't i don't know if it's if reading the gospel is so so deeply right and irrefutably tied to to being a cleric. Right. Um, I kind of think like if you did like study commission kind of thing, like you could probably find some examples when there were lay people who, who read the gospel, but they would be sort of this few and far between thing mm-hmm. um, where it the committee would probably come back and say like, actually that is a really essential part of, of being a cleric, and then they would probably point to Acts of the Apostles when the right, deacons were ordained, right? Wasn't so there that, communion services? Is, is there ever a right for a communion service without a deacon even? Like a layperson communion service? Yeah, where, I think so. So that must be when they proclaim the gospel too, right? Because yeah, you do the readings. But that's meant to be, to be only, it's called in the absence of a priest. Mm, got um, it. Got so it, you're got talking it, about it, like it. a mountain village where yeah, a priest yeah. comes every every two months or right. every six months. Yeah. But like just thinking about Acts of the Apostles, the deacons were ordained because the the needs, the the material needs, and especially the the squabble, the disagreement between the Hellenists um, and the Hebrew speakers, if if Hellenists refers to Greek speakers, anyway, between these two groups in the early church, um was pulling the apostles away from devotion to the word, mm. right? Um, and so I bet a study committee would come back and say, well, we have like a really central part of the apostolic role being this devotion to studying and, and preaching the, the word. Um, 
it seems to be something that's at the heart of what it is to be to be an apostle and yeah. their successors the bishop their collaborators the priest and, um so it seems since it pertains to the essence of it like i could see them saying that this isn't really something that's that's appropriate as a a regular ministry uh of lay people mm-hmm. it seems like that would be clericalizing the lay got it um yeah where they have like the laity have a a proper function which is absolutely essential which is mm-hmm. being leaven in the midst of of the world right. in the midst of their relationships with others um in the midst of their secular work doing that work in an excellent and holy way um like that's that's not lesser um what we need to do this is what i'm going to propose <laughs> We need to have an event. We need to find, listen, somebody who, I don't know, has time on their hands, right? They find some coffee shop or something that we can rent out. Okay? You with me so far? Yeah. Excuse me. And all we allow are women to come in and ask us questions for one live episode of a podcast. (laughs) And we would be annihilated. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Or I would just uh, filibuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd talking be like, as long well, as I could. <laughs> the Greek of the... Uh, the Ro- Actually, Who were the to- Hellenists yeah, anyway? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, they have anything to do with the name Helen? Shout out to my cousin. Shout out, Helen Tremble. So we really should, though. We should do... I, the, I've been itching... Well, first off, to close this subject, we, we need further discussion. Mary, we appreciate you. We'll continue. Yeah. We'll continue on this, Were but it, br- it brings que- up there good things. Questions? Uh, I feel like I answered maybe two out of the five that you did. Written. You even hit two out of the five. So. <laughs> I think that, I, I think that's two, the main point. I, I'm glad to hear that perspective and that side. Yeah. And it is, and I, I think it shows like that we need to. Uh, just remember that there's multiple perspectives on that and that we can have such a clear, quick answer to be like, yeah, but Jesus chose men and this and that and and to know how it probably resonates yeah, there are and counterpoints sits with in people's yeah, mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, that need so, to be to be addressed. But, and my my biggest takeaway from this is is not to um not to think of participation in the church as participation in the liturgy. I, yep. I think that that's to vastly reduce what our call as disciples is. Yeah. Um, I can see that. My big takeaway um, in all those points you said was that you really have an issue with Father Zach being the one to stand before. <laughs> my first ordinations the, this year and the, just sitting in the back Just seat. sitting in the back row. No one even knows. It, who knows? What if you're like, I have a say. I I have something to say here, but no, this was uh you know this was a vocation director too, like you like know. I just met that guy earlier this year. I've had no part in his formation. And you're <laughs> like, well, I have something. So so will you be allowed, or is it like they're going to call in the bullpen next year? They're going to be like call you up to the majors. Oh, I don't. I I think as long as Father Zach is director of seminarians, um, that 
he'll be doing that role, and I think it's appropriate for him. Okay. As much as I hate to say so, it. Feels like yeah. you're a little bit backpedaling. We need a little bit more Draymond Green in you yeah, right you're now. Looking, you looking you would some, be some fire. You, you want me you'd to be like trip him on his way up to the No, end, I just think it would be funny <laughs> that if when the bishop, when it's time for that, what if you stood up at the same time? It's I will share this. It's very important to me that um, I've caught a glimpse of some of the the written out form of the thank yous because um, the bishop always thanks people at the end of the ordination, mm-hmm. um, like, and one of the groups that he acknowledges is the vocation department, and he never reads, but he has a couple bullet points, and I saw it in the binder one time, and it says something along the lines of I would like to thank Father Paul Bechter, the director of vocations, and the or no, the director of the vocations office, who was assisted <laughs> by Father Zach Webb. Oh, there it is. And really, there's... But he never reads it like that, so... <laughs> and really, once again, the the whole thanks should go to Veronica, who it really <laughs> carries right. both it's of the, you. So it's a great example of what Mary... That kind of sums Mary up our said, podcast yeah, episode exactly. right here. But, oh, that's yeah. amazing. Uh, the yeah. bish- so, you, so when did <laughs> it's, you... Uh, it's all about the, the glory... Yeah, when when did you get this exclusive? Because uh, as as like vocation look. director, I vest in the bishop sacristy now at because um, mm. I'm one of the primary celebrants. Okay, soft flex. A lot of lot of big words I'm throwing out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get so, the special vestment. So because people probably don't understand what's happening, so many priests yeah. and deacons are vesting. There were like you 150 have priests, or multiple places or to get ready. Priests. Right. Right. Yeah. There were say a hundred. Let's let's say a hundred priests at the priestly ordinations back on June fourth, mm. June fifth, really, whatever the Saturday. It's really, was. just close to you. Whatever the Saturday was, June fourth. Um, we ordained six new priests. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be living with one of them in my newly assigned place of residence, Saint Monica, mm. uh, with Father Elijah Thompson, um, who was just ordained on June fourth, as I said, um, and. So there's a bunch of priests, uh, and there is some kind of little difference uh, made between them. Mm. Like there are the concelebrants, Got but it. then there's also like the deans. So our diocese is split up into just smaller regions that are called deaneries, kind of like counties yeah. within a state. Yeah. But these are deaneries within a diocese. So like North Central is a deanery and stuff like that. The deans... Uh, wear special vestments and kind of sit apart um, just to acknowledge that, you know, they're deans. Uh, they're sort of in charge in a certain way of that mm-hmm. little area uh, in, within the diocese. No, um, I mean, do they have really, really have canonical power in any uh, way? They're called very reverend. So that seems to be a... Well, actually, they have the ability to do confession. Uh, confessions. No, every <laughs> priest does. Confirmations. We've had a dean be a well. Do they? We've had a dean who was delegated to do. Oh, but I've been delegated. I was delegated a couple weeks ago. All right, but I didn't know. Primarily, though, no. Like, wouldn't that go from a bishop if the bishop is not available first to a dean? I don't. I don't know. I don't know if we use deans like that. I think it's more of an administrative thing. Okay. Um, kind of like a an honor. And a responsibility without much extra power. Like a Monsignor <laughs> title? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I've never been Dean. Um, yet. Yet. <laughs> Got my eyes on the deanery. Um, 
so anyway, they they wear some special vestments. It's it's the same. We're all wearing white vestments, but there's like have a little trim. Yeah. And it's just a thing that we do. But then also uh, the vicar for clergy mm-hmm. and the assistant vicar for clergy. So Bishop Kelly's the vicar for clergy. Father Arthur is the assistant vicar for clergy. The vocation director and the director of seminarians. I almost said assistant vocation director, which would be Father Zach. Assistant to the um, regional manager. <laughs> so those four sort of vocations office and clergy office um, have a, a very direct role in an ordination. Mm-hmm. Vocations office has prepared the man and he's about to enter under the auspices of the clergy office. Mm-hmm. So the four of us, uh, Bishop Kelly, Father Arthur, me, Father Zach, took the four concelebrant parts of Eucharistic Prayer 1 mm. and... So we wore even more special vestments with more trim, and we sat in a special place. Um, that's about it. Not to boil it down, that the liturgy is yeah. like <laughs> it's not about it's about service. I'm telling it's you, it's about it's a, it's about service. Exactly. And we vested in the bishop's sacristy. Oh, sh- which is where I saw the folder. <laughs> this is all very confidential, by the way. There, there. And good thing Bishop Burns doesn't listen to our <laughs> podcasts. Be like I'm removing Father Paul. Um, She did. Mary made a good point that I've thought about before, though. That I think would be good to end. Uh, The whole thing about what a religious sister has to do to enter compared to giving. I feel like the approach, which I agree with the approach, but I feel like Father Edwin had this approach. I feel like you do as well. But of hey okay, they can articulate, they can hear a calling that they, you realize there's still nine years of formation. You want them to be like, okay, you feel like this is where God is leading you. I want you to try this and no pressure, right? Mm. You know, like I want you to take it serious and know that, but that if they left, they left or like, do you do, you know, a background to be like, well, you have this much debt. We're not going to take you in compared to, you know, these religious sisters, like some are like, this is the longing of their heart. The order wants to take them in, but it's like, you have to pay off your debt. Yeah. I would, I would make two responses to that. Okay. Very briefly. Very briefly. So first, um, it's not just religious sisters that are in that position. It's religious brothers and religious priests as well. True. True. All religious orders are like that. Yes. Um, Depends on how much money the religious order has. Right. What they're able to do with their vocations. Um, but women just don't have any other options. Right. Well, yeah. So there's there's not a parallel to diocesan priesthood right. that comes out of diocesan funding, basically. Um, Which would People re- are very, very generous towards, um, especially in the Diocese of Dallas, like not every diocese is like this. Mm-hmm. Some seminarians have to work summer jobs and stuff to help pay. Some have to apply for more and more student loans. Uh, people in the Diocese of Dallas have been really generous towards vocations to mm-hmm. the priesthood, diocese yeah. and priesthood. So in supporting our seminarians, that means that that if a seminarian comes in with some debt, it can be a conversation instead of a no. Yeah. Um, that being said, this is the second answer. That was pretty quick for the first answer. Mm. Um, 
there is an organization I learned about when I became vocation director last year, which is called... I'm forgetting it right now. Um, but there's an organization. An organization whose mission, is. whose mission is to help you fundraise for a year uh, to be able to pay off your debt and be able to enter a religious order. Uh, and it actually sounded really good. I hate that I can't think of the name. Um, it's last something. It's like a French name. <laughs> but uh, gosh, what is it? So I La Madeleine. Yeah, it's La Madeleine. Right, <laughs> you can eat some like French onion soup and <laughs> and a baguette. Hey, not bad actually. <laughs> it's been a long time since I went there, but not bad. Um, yeah. So what they do is uh, you apply for this program. Uh, and I think you have to have a letter from the religious institute that sort of wants to accept you, but you've got too much debt or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you work as a missionary, um, kind of like a, a right. net or a Christ in the city or mm-hmm. uh, a culture project. Right. Shout out my cousin Helen. Helen. Just finished her first year of culture project. Mm-hmm. Um, you you work as part of this sort of missionary team where you learn the skills of fundraising within the church. Um, and uh, they have a target goal and they try and meet that goal. And then they kind of, they're able to, to distribute the phone, the funds. And I think they have some backing right. where they're able to, it's not totally dependent on just like, your own efforts. But wouldn't it be cool if there was like sisters that were like th- through the diocese? I don't even know what the term is. Some would dioceses be. have diocesan orders. Okay. So there yeah. is a thing. Yeah. There can be a thing. Sorry. I totally forgot about that. Dude, Dallas, come on. Where are we at? What are you doing in that office? Let's get going. <laughs> let's you get wanna, some, let's get some a, diocesan sisters. Make a proposal. So, the thing about Dossus and Sisters is that you don't bring them in from somewhere else. Let's bring them in. People have to come up yeah. with a proposal like, hey, we think that God is giving us this charism to be an order specifically for the Diocese of Dallas under the under obedience to the and Bishop. Mm. Um, that's what a Dossus order looks like. And it starts as a small community that's just kind of doing this and then they can you know, start conversations with the bishop about like, what would it look like for us to be recognized and develop statutes and a rule of life and all that. If you want to spearhead the grassroots effort, me, yeah, personally, um, you know, I'm going to pray about it <laughs> for kids or if anyone out and out anyone out there, out there. It, but, but like that's, that's the path for that kind of thing. I think, and I, I know some dioceses that, that have, a diocesan order of sisters. Um, mm. I just don't understand why you can't like take in, I mean, so much for our quick remarks, by the way, but <laughs> like, why can't we take in like, you know, okay, well you have this, you have the Nashville Dominicans or these ones that like people like, and it's like, yeah, why can't they have like the, the diet? Like. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Right. Like, uh-huh. like why can't you have a Dallas chapter? That is under the diocese and funded by that. The Dominicans wouldn't want it. They they wouldn't uh, want Saint Dominic. Come on, no, What's like going a, on? a no, religious order. It's a separate institution. I know, I know, I know. There must not, be some way. 
I, I really think that that missionary <laughs> gear that I can't remember the name of, it's so bad. They were so, like, there there was a conference of vocation directors last summer. <laughs> and you I were just to, like, well, I'll never need this. I so. was fascinated. I was like, why haven't I heard about this before? This is exactly it. Joey is always complaining about this. Um, I actually have. Yeah, I have complained we've about, this. about this. We've this talked about times. this before. And yeah. I think he has a really good point, but I've never heard it. Like, this is... This addresses that problem specifically. And La Madeline. I really want to say it's LaCroix. And I know that that can't be true. (laughs) LaCroix. Oh, my gosh. Well, on on the LaCroix factor, we're going to fade out, everybody. We're going to pray that women still listen to our podcast after this. and that. Look up that thing I was talking about. (laughs) And if anybody wants to start a diocesan (laughs) order for women. I can't guarantee that it'll get accepted. Yeah, talk to Father Paul. Actually, talk to his assistant. That's Father Zach Webb. So I'll be uh, be happy. Joey Skits. Father Paul Vector. Take care. God bless. <laughs>